Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. All right, let's look at Acts chapter 10. And today we're going to be looking at Peter, Cornelius, and God's international mission. God has a universal mission that we're seeing in the book of Acts. And yes, these apostles and others get to be a part of it, but the driving force behind this story in the book of Acts is God Almighty. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit with a mission to bring salvation to all nations. So that is behind this story today. We're gonna get to see behind the curtain in a sense that God is at work. And there's gonna be two little snapshots here, one with a Gentile named Cornelius, and God is working in great detail in his life, preparing him for a moment to hear the gospel. And then we also get to see behind the scenes that God is at work in the Apostle Peter's life, expanding his understanding of what salvation is according to the scriptures. And what I'm gonna do this morning, we're just gonna read it in blocks. Rather than reading the full 33 verses, again, we're gonna read, the, we're gonna read them uh, section by section, so I'm gonna read the first seven verses. But what's happening in this section, and it's a critical part in the book of Acts, it's kind of a hinge moment, this is where the gospel begins to spread like wildfire among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, which we saw was promised in Acts 1.8, didn't we? We saw that the gospel was going to proceed and spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this is actually one of the first Gentiles, non-Jews, who's going to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the first eight verses here. I'm gonna read them and then we can dig into it a little bit. Acts 10, one through eight. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming to him and saying, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. So this first piece, and this is the word of God that we get to read, 
and enjoy and see transform our lives. So we're gonna look at the first two parts. The first is Cornelius' vision, verses one through eight, and a second one that we're gonna look at is the Apostle Peter's vision. And then we'll briefly talk about Cornelius asking Peter to come and visit him and his friends and family to bring the gospel. And then it ends with Peter actually meeting Cornelius. So what's going on here in Cornelius' vision? The, the first thing, this is a man from Caesarea. I've got a slide up here. It's important to see some of these things if it's not in your study Bible there. We've got Cornelius at Caesarea, which is north of Joppa, about 30 miles. You can see it there, the yellow stars. So that's where Cornelius and his friends and family and his entourage are, and then Simon Peter is down at Joppa where that red star is, again, about 30 miles away, a day and a half or so journey. And this man, look, look at him, he's a centurion. He's of the Italian cohort. He's a highly trained Roman officer who's been trusted in the Roman army. He's one of 60 in his Roman legion and we know from ancient records that Caesarea was actually a, a fortress, a place where there were a lot of Roman soldiers, both active and retired. And so he commanded a hundred men. And as one of this group, there would have been a 6,000 man army, a legion. And so he has been highly trained. He's entrusted by his government and the Lord is working in his life. Look at what verse two says about this centurion named Cornelius. He's a devout man. He feared God with all his household. He gave many alms. He was a generous giver to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continuously. Now in the book of Acts, we'll encounter this several times where someone is called a God-fearer. What does that mean? It means that the person had left their paganistic background, so he had left, he had left behind his Roman polytheism, the belief in many gods, and he had actually come to love the God of Israel and the Jewish scriptures. And so he was on his way to fearing and knowing and walking with God, but he had not been circumcised yet, so he was not a full-blown Jewish person. And so God is encountering this God-fearer. Interestingly enough, that verse, that reference there in verse two is the first reference to family in the whole book of Acts. And so we're gonna see what's happening in Cornelius actually impacts his immediate family and his relatives and his friends. And so God is at work in this soldier, this devout man who feared God. And I think the text shows us here, sometimes we need to look around and we need to ask, God, who are you, who are you at work in? This was not a likely candidate. And we're gonna see that the Lord is working in Peter's heart simultaneously while this is going on. This was a Roman soldier. This was not the candidate of candidates to be coming to follow the Lord Jesus, but it's who the Lord chose. The Lord meets with him and prepares him. And so I wonder who might be around you at your workplace? 
Who might the Lord be preparing to hear the gospel of Jesus about his life, his death, his resurrection? Lord, help us see the Corneliuses around us. Look at verses three through eight. Cornelius's encounter, there's a description here. It's the ninth hour, it's about three o'clock p.m. Cornelius sees in a vision an angel of God. And if we look here, we're only 10 chapters in to the book of Acts, but think about some of the ways that we've seen God speaking. Can you remember all the way back to chapter one? How is God speaking to people? We saw in Acts chapter one that God was speaking through the resurrected Jesus. If you remember Jesus meeting with his disciples and talking about the kingdom of God and preparing them and telling them that the promised Holy Spirit was coming. We found that God spoke in chapter two, especially through powerful preaching that's rooted in the scriptures. The apostle Peter gives an amazing message that touched many thousand people's lives. We see in chapter six that God speaks through wise counsel, through Stephen and some of the others. We saw in chapter two, how was it that God spoke to the church as the Holy Spirit came upon them? Through tongues, the gift of tongues, glossolalia, they were, that's the word for it, they were speaking out of the mighty deeds of God. God is speaking to his people and he's drawing people like Cornelius Even through an angelic encounter like this, we could go on and on in chapter two with God speaks through prophecy and visions and now we're seeing God speaking through an angelic messenger. The point is God speaks. God is involved. God spoke then and God speaks now. And frankly, we hear stories of this quite regularly in Muslim countries and other places. The Lord will personally appear to people in dreams, in visions, and call them to himself. So the Lord speaks. Cornelius, look at verse three and four. He's staring at the angel in terror. I've heard some people say, I would sure love to see angels regularly and would love to have angels come and visit me. And as you look at the Bible, Joshua encountered an angel in chapter five and he hit the deck. He fell on his face in great fear and terror. Read the same thing in Daniel 10. Daniel encountered an angel and fell and trembled. Revelation 19, John the apostle encounters an angel and like Cornelius, there's a holy terror. And so I think the text is telling us here that God is awesome and that God's servants who obey him and bring his word are awesome. So I'm not sure that it would be a good idea if angels showed up and appeared to us regularly. It's probably not a bad prayer to pray, but brace yourself. If the Lord does answer that prayer, then it's probably not gonna be you hanging out high-fiving an angel, but the fear of the Lord will come because God is awesome and these angels are in his presence and they carry his presence. The angel speaks very personally to him and says, your prayers and alms have risen as a fragrant memorial before God. And then the angel tells him, call for Simon Peter in Joppa, who was staying with a tanner who lived by the sea. 
What's interesting here, and this could slip right past us, but at verse five, Simon is staying with a tanner. And if you read a little bit about tanners in the ancient world, they were considered by the Jewish people to be unclean. Why is that? Because they were dealing with dead animals and carcasses and skins, and the truth is it stunk. It was one of those vocations where you're around death and you're around this stench and it gets into your person and you stink. And so oftentimes these tanners were on the edge of town for different reasons. They were considered ritually unclean because of the things they were doing and it was so that they could rinse off regularly and use the salt water from the sea. But that is where the apostle Peter is staying. Isn't that interesting? He's already breaking down. The Lord has guided him to this place to stay with this man, and the Lord is already challenging Simon Peter, who's a good Jew, who keeps kosher, who obeys the law, and he's staying with a man that would have been considered unclean. So the Lord is already expanding the apostle Peter's understanding of what it's going to be like to be a Jewish Christian as the Lord takes him into mission with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Fascinating. Let's look at the next, next section here. That's Cornelius's encounter. We're going to look at verses 9 through 16 and see Peter's vision. And again, I want us to think about these things are happening at the same time. God is working with this Roman soldier, preparing him step by step. And what's interesting, what was his response to the angel. He was saying, yes, I'm going to do this. And so he's going to send for Peter. It's immediate obedience from this man who hasn't even met Jesus fully yet. He hasn't even embraced his heart, but the text is showing us that he fears God, he obeys God, he listens to the word of the Lord, and that's why the Lord has chosen him. Look at verses 9 through 16. Again, this is going to be the Apostle Peter's vision here, simultaneous visions. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. I love this. Look at what it says. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered at the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. <laughs> by no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane or unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. So the setting here, it's about noon the next day. Peter goes up to the roof to pray. Why on a roof? Rooftops were like patios in the ancient world, and he lives not far from the Mediterranean Sea, Simon the Tanner. And so it was a place to relax. Peter's going up there to relax, to catch the cool breeze off the Mediterranean. 
And most likely, this house where he was had some kind of awning. And typically, the, the awning was made of cloth or leather. And it was made for shade. So Peter is up there relaxing, chilling, and he becomes hungry. What I love about the Bible is how human the people are. Right? This is the great apostle the great apostle who just a few weeks ago we saw raised someone from the dead. He's a great man of prayer and fasting and the power of God rests on him. And here he is, just like we do when we go to pray oftentimes, our mind goes to food. Anyone else in here have that happen? I'm fired up. I'm ready to pray. I've got my early time in the morning set apart and I am picturing toast and apple, and my Earl Grey tea, and maybe even lunch that day. Am I gonna get potbelly sandwiches? I'm not sure, so I just love it. This powerful apostle is thinking about food. He wanted something to eat, and frankly, it's the only time in the whole of scripture where this word is used. He is really hungry. He's really, really, maybe it's hangry. That's the Greek word that we could use here. And he falls into a trance. This is an odd thing. What in the world is a trance? It's kind of like a dream while you're awake. Let's just do something for a moment here, okay? I'm gonna show our minds are wired to hear from God. Did you know that? Our minds and our hearts are create, we are hardwired to commune with God, to hear from God, to walk with God. And so he's given us even the imagination so that he can speak to us through that. And that's precisely what's happening here. It's a sanctified daydream. His mind is wandering. But let me just, let's experiment for a moment. Okay, picture yourself. You're in Maui. You and the people that you love the most are walking on a beach together. You can feel that sand in between your toes. You're laughing, you're talking, you can feel that breeze coming, the warmth of the sun. Some of you that are listening to me, you were in Maui. By, our minds are created to picture things like that, right? It's not rocket science at all, and so what Peter is doing in that moment, as he's thinking about food, his mind is fixed on the Lord, and the Lord begins to put images in his mind. That's precisely what's happening here. It's not even necessarily that mystical. And some people surmise that this sheet that he's going to see coming down may have even resembled a sail. And we know that Peter was a sailor and a fisherman, who was on the water quite often, so his mind is being directed by the Lord. This large sheet comes down, perhaps even looking like the awning that he's sitting under or a boat sail, and it's got all kinds of four-footed animals. Look at verse 12 in it. It's a rather strange picture, isn't it? All of these animals and the Lord speaks through his voice and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And we already commented on his response. Look at verse 14. <laughs> These words don't typically go together, do they? No, Lord. 
no, Lord. This is where Peter is an example of probably what we shouldn't do. And we, again, the text is so human and so wonderful. He has had other no, Lord moments. Can you remember back in the Gospel of Luke or the other Gospels? He shoots his mouth off oftentimes. And in one of the most powerful moments in all of the Gospels, Jesus is saying, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be put to death. And what does Peter say? (laughs) No, Lord. No, Lord. And so this is another one of those moments. We've got to give him a break a little bit but because perhaps he thinks he's being tested here, right? Maybe he thinks that there's some kind of test and he thinks back to Abraham being tested. So maybe he's bracing himself thinking, I, I'm not going to even think about eating anything unclean because I'm a devoted Jew and I keep my body holy and I'm not going to participate in this. But then the Lord is really going to correct him and going to use this image to teach him some things because it's really not about food, is it? He tells him to get up, Peter, to kill and eat. And he doesn't mean literally to get up and start waving at the vision that he's seeing, but he wants to tell him that there are no unclean things. So this becomes like a metaphor, a word picture, and what God is telling Peter is that there are no unclean people. Think about that for a moment. Again, we have to get inside the mind, we have to get inside the text as it was, Peter and the other followers of Jesus were Jewish. And they obeyed the Torah. They obeyed the instruction of God and the law and they kept Leviticus 11 and other places where the Lord said, don't eat certain foods and you may eat these. And if we think about this, Amanda and I were talking about it. It's not because God necessarily cares about food. It's because God wanted his people to be different than the nations around them. And so there's a lot of story behind this. A lot of the nations ate certain foods and actually worshiped certain creatures and made idols of these very things. So when God began to move in and through Abraham and Moses and the others, he set certain instructions, certain guidelines, so that his people would be different than the nations around them. You get it? It's fascinating to see here. And so that's how Peter has lived. He's been faithful to the teachings of the Old Testament, and now the Lord is showing him the spirit that's behind what he's doing. And he's going to show him three times in this vision. Why do you think it's three times? Could Peter be like us? Maybe he needs to hear it multiple times and have it impressed on his mind and his heart. And so the Lord repeats this three times. It's important. If you look in other places in the scripture, if something's repeated two or three times, it underscores just how important it is. Think of Isaiah 6. The angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. It's repeated three times. Well, this is another really important message that's being conveyed here from God to the Apostle Peter. And the message is this. God's new covenant people, 
is made up of Jews and Gentiles, all peoples. And they're all brought to saving faith in Christ, saved by his blood, united by his spirit. Peter talks about that. I mean, uh, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. This is a critical moment here for the apostle Peter and for the early church. You see it? God is expanding his understanding. Now, we see Jesus has already started to do this in Mark chapter 7. Listen to what Jesus says. There is nothing outside a person that by going in through eating it or ingest it can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. So we already know that Jesus is expanding people's understanding of the Torah, of the law. Because what began to happen is people would fixate on food and what's clean and what's unclean. And so Jesus was saying, it's really, you've got your attention in the wrong place. God wants your heart. God wants obedience, right? So what's happening here in this moment is that God is showing Peter from the beginning that all the nations have been called. Think about this for a moment. A moment. As you look back at Genesis 12 and God is speaking to Abraham and Sarah and he tells them that they are going to be a blessing to what? What is it? All nations, right? That what God is doing, even by selecting them and preparing them as his covenant people, God's saving mission from the beginning was about all the nations. And yes, the Lord was going to work uniquely in the Jewish people, but from the beginning, he wanted them to be a light to the nations. And so Peter is having his, his understanding expanded here. And probably even in that moment, because he thinks biblically, he's probably going back and thinking through these texts. Lord, it has been your heart from the beginning to save all the nations, and to cleanse them through Messiah. Think about Isaiah 52 and 53, that promise is there. The Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before Christ and says that he's going to send Messiah, his servant, and he's going to sprinkle the nations and cleanse them through his own suffering. So Peter is going to be thinking about these texts, and he's going to say, Lord, you know, I see it. I see it in your word, your universal, international plan from the beginning. Paul goes on to say this in Galatians 3.28. Listen to what he says. All are called to unity with Christ and one another. And listen to what he says. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the New Testament is going to teach that, that through faith in the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, his death and resurrection, all the social barriers, all the ethnic barriers are done away with. Friends, we are one in Christ. And this is one of those moments, an apostolic moment, where Peter is beginning to realize that it is dawning on him. Now the rest of the text here 
We're not gonna read it, but I'm just gonna summarize. Verses 17 through 23, Cornelius is going to ask Peter to visit. And Peter is going to actually go and visit Cornelius in Caesarea. And he's going to take an entourage with him and they're going to preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit is going to fall on these Gentiles and it's going to be a historic moment in the history of the church. The Lord again expanding people's understanding. I want us to end with this. Look at uh, verse 33 here. This is a wonderful end to this passage and it kind of sets us up for, for the next. So we've had Cornelius has a vision, Peter has a vision, things are no longer unclean, the Lord is calling all the nations to faith in Jesus. Cornelius asks Peter to visit, Peter comes, and then look at how this text ends. This is Cornelius saying, he's gathered there and Peter does in fact come. He ends up coming around and he obeys the Lord and he comes to Caesarea to visit and this is Cornelius there. He's got his friends, his family and they're all fired up and ready to hear the gospel and listen to what he says. This is Cornelius speaking at verse 33. Therefore I sent for you, Peter, immediately and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of us are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. So what a setup it is. Doesn't get any better than that. They've both been spoken to by the Lord. Peter makes the journey of about 30 miles north and he's there and Cornelius is fired up with his family and his friends and they are ready to hear the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and that's where we'll pick up next week. Why don't we have the worship team come up? We've got a little bit of time here. Thank you. Wallace just said announcements. Supposed to announce groups and elder, right? And I told him when I forgot it that he could yell at me. Thank you, Wallace. So while they're coming up here, we've got a little time to worship, and we'll have some time for ministry. We have groups, right? We have groups, and if there's still a little window of time, if you want to lead a group, pray and ask the Lord, what could I lead? How could I serve the church and others? We're encouraging community groups especially. We've had some community groups post-COVID that have gone really well. We're also encouraging Bible study, so we want community and Bible study. Should I mention the training? Training too? And we also have groups training on the 21st, so next week, and the 28th um, after church, roughly from, there we go, 12.15 to 2 o'clock. The other thing I wanted to announce that I forgot, because I'm so caught up in baptism and the scriptures and all, is we are actually going to be voting on our new elders on the 28th. And so we have... Um, three new elders that we'll be presenting and then the next week, I guess we'll present them and have the ordination time. Did I get it all? We good? Okay. Why don't we stand? Team effort around here. Praise the Lord for that. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
thank you that you have a mission and that we get to be part of it. And we thank you that we get to read this story and then be part of it and live into it. So we ask for your hunger for your word and your anointing, your power to be witnesses for Christ.